Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to this Becoming Your Best podcast today. And I would like to, figuratively speaking, sit knee to knee with you today as a friend or a dad or a grandpa and visit about a subject that touches every single one of us and is critical to our success and happiness in life. And it is the subject of pushing through the challenges, adversities, setbacks, and discouragements, failures, and successes, and yes, even depression to ultimately realize our greatest dreams and hopes. And we're talking about like shattered health, losing a job, being fired or laid off, or being passed over for a position, losing a key contest or a game or a broken relationship or divorce, losing a big contract or sale, having a serious or stressful disagreement with another person in the list goes on and on. This subject is one that can stand in the way or propel you forward to becoming your best. And I'd like to introduce and illustrate this subject through two examples. Uh, As World War II escalated, the British were demoralized by feelings of helplessness. Uh, Night after night, hundreds of German bombers dropped death and destruction on London, Manchester, and Reading. And night after night, people lost their homes or workplaces or their lives. The children were sent to the country for safety. Teenagers were trained to fly uh, fighter planes. (laughs) And the headlights of cars were kept off and black paper covered the windows of every home and business. You can just imagine what this felt like. Along with suppressing the lights of everyday life, the smoke and dust dimmed even the light of the sun. Demoralized doesn't even seem adequate to describe what the British people felt. In the midst of such despair, one man with a will to live and the vision for better days, Prime Minister Winston Churchill turned British hearts and minds towards hope with only 39 words. Here they are. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to the convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to the force uh, in apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. These comments by Churchill, given at the commencement speech of his old primary school alma mater, aren't famous only because of the power and meaning of the words. His is also known as the shortest speech on record. And when he sat down, sustained applause began as people stood as a witness 
that they would follow him with hope in the future. That talk was given 1941. Never give up was his was to impending defeat and to the will to win. And this is what turned the tide. So much of it, it was this spirit that changed things. Churchill's response inspired not only England, but the whole free world. And this spirit of that message inspired Britain and her allies to fight back with great courage, and not only for their survival as a nation, but for a worldwide victory over tyranny. So the British learned the hard lesson that the ultimate enemy can be within ourselves, where we each battle the urge to give up. And Churchill's rally to uh, a belief in victory is a rally we can each give ourselves. And the truth, well, as one person said, victory always starts in the head. It's a state of mind. It then spreads with such radiance and such affirmations that destiny can do nothing but obey. So never give up. It's during the moments of discouragement or despair when you aren't sure if you can really make it that success can be found as you reach deep down and fight back with courage and faith and and the spirit of keeping on. So this is the first story I'd like to use, and it has a number of important components that I want to talk about in a few minutes. Now, the second example that I'd like to use, and today in this podcast, uh, we're going to have the opportunity to look at a number of case studies and learn from individuals that have applied certain things that have helped them rise above these challenges that come. Now, this second experience is one that's really inspired me in 1990 while J.K. Rowling, Joanne, (laughs) was on a four-hour delayed train trip from Manchester to London, the idea for a story of a young boy attending a school of wizardry came fully formed into her mind. And as soon as she reached her Clapham Junction flat, she began to write immediately. After serving uh, and having the chance to move to Porto, Portugal, she taught English as a foreign language. And Roly then was married. The couple welcomed a daughter the next year, but then separated only a few months after her birth. The next month, Rowling and her daughter moved to be near Rowling's sister in Edinburgh, Scotland. It was during this period of time that Rowling was diagnosed with clinical depression and contemplated suicide. Seven years after graduating from university, Rowling saw herself as the biggest failure she knew. Her marriage had failed. She was jobless with a dependent child. But she described her failure as liberating in her 2008 Harvard University commencement address. Here's what she said in her own words. Failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy to finishing the only work that mattered to me. (laughs) Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one area where I truly belonged. 
So in order to teach in Scotland, she needed a postgraduate certificate of education, something that required a full-time year-long course of study. So she began the course in August of 1995 after completing her first novel and having survived uh, on state welfare support, she actually wrote the book in many cafes and especially the Nicholson's Cafe whenever she could get Jessica, her little daughter, to fall asleep. And in 1995, Rowling finished Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone on an old manuscript typewriter. Her agent submitted the book to 12 publishing houses, all of which rejected the manuscript. A year later, she was finally given the green light and 1,500-pound advance by editor Barry Cunningham from the Bloomsbury a publisher, a small publishing house in London. And although Bloomsbury agreed to publish the book, Cunningham advised Rowling to get a day job. <laughs> he believed she had little chance of making money in children's books. It was in 1997, Rowling received an $8,000 pound grant from the Scottish uh, Arts Council to enable her, enable her to continue her writing. And the following spring, an auction was held in the United States for the right to publish the novel, and it was won by Scholastic. They paid $105,000, and Rowling said she nearly died when she heard the news. And from there, all of the rest of it is just history. It was in June 97, Bloomsbury published Philosopher's Stone, with an initial print run, get this, of 1,000 copies, 500 of which were distributed to libraries. And since that time, of course, uh, Harry Potter is now a global brand. It's worth an estimated $15 billion at last count, and the success is just amazing. So think of what Winston Churchill went through. Think of what J.K. Rowling went through, these set of emotions, of having some of the greatest setbacks and challenges that can be managed, imagined. Now, when these types of challenges come to you, to me, to us, what can we do to get on top of things and realize our greatest dreams and hope? Well, today, sitting knee to knee as a friend, a father or grandfather, I'd like to recommend four things that can help lift each one of us in the moments of despair, discouragement, or challenge, or just working towards our goal on an ongoing basis. Here are the four things. Number one, this is what we can do when these times come. Find, develop, and maintain an inspiring vision, purpose, and plan. Number two, Maintain the right mental attitude, mindset, and focus to overcome and succeed. Now, the third thing that we can do is keep building our skill set and abilities. We keep pushing ahead. And number four, we find hope through faith, and, and we can rely on prayer and help from a greater source than ourselves. Let me just quickly talk about each one of these. Just think about finding and developing and maintaining an inspiring vision, purpose, and plan. This is living on a day-to-day -day basis or 
when we have these big setbacks, these are the things that can lift us up out of the ashes. Just consider some of these, this purpose, this vision that drives you on. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. We shall overcome. These are words or thoughts that kept pushing him on in the whole movement of equal rights in the darkest hours. Or Mahatma Gandhi, freedom and independence through nonviolence. With the spirit and understanding that correct principles of right will prevail. And this is what was the force that allowed independence for India to take place with time. Or how about Conrad Hilton from the Hilton Hotels who has built a worldwide dynasty in the depression of the United States in the 1930s. He lost every hotel or motel that he had. There were seven of them. It was a terrible setback. At that time, he saw a photo of the mighty, wonderful, world-renowned Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. And he cut this newspaper article out with this photo and placed it in his wallet. And he said to himself, one day I will own this hotel. It was years later that Conrad Hilton presided at the ribbon cutting of the Hilton Waldorf Astoria Hotel. How many times did he pull that picture out to inspire him, to remind him to keep going? Or Helen Keller, hers was, I will see and learn even though I have no sight. Once that spark, a vision took over in her life of learning and that she could grow, uh, everything changed for her. Or I saw this one yesterday morning, a former president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson. Don't you love this vision? You are not here merely to make a living. You're here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world, and you impoverish yourself if you forget that errand. Well, so that's number one. It's a helpful one. It will inspire you and encourage you and help you see past your sorrows. Number two, maintain the right mental attitude, mindset, and focus to overcome and succeed. I love from the book, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino, I will persist until I succeed. We need to adapt and go around and reassess, but we keep moving forward again and again and again. We saw this in the example with Churchill. Or how about with Nelson Mandela? Uh, 27 years in prison uh, because he wanted to end apartheid. He went to Robbins Island. And how could he keep going with no hope? 27 years He turned Robben Island into a university of learning and growth. He took it as a time to grow himself. He also built his spirit and was so inspired by this poem by William Ernest Henley that he lived by. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning 
gifts of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I love that inspiration, but you can feel it from Mandela's life as he became the first black president of South Africa and unified a nation. He built upon these these setbacks that he had, this terrible dungeon of despair, and he built it into his castle. In other words, this is the mindset, the steely-eyed force of human resolve and will. That's the second step. All right, number three is keep building your skills and your abilities. Learn from your mistakes and so-called failures or setbacks. We all have them. Uh, Dieter Uchtdorf, who was the chief pilot of Lufthansa, and a world leader of uh, a religious, uh, a church, an organization, and worldwide humanitarian group, said one time, at the end of each day, what can I do to be better? How can I improve? And then go to sleep and have a good rest and wake up the next day and go to work on a great day. I love that example. Uh, he, I had the opportunity to be together with him when we lived in Madrid, And he was a great inspiration to us. So when things happen, we just say, okay, let's move forward. This is part of the vision and plan. What's needed? What skills and ability? And this helps us then in the process of becoming our best. You know, this resolve to move ahead was felt by Teddy Roosevelt. And these are all prototypes or examples that can help us. He hoped to never be among, quote, those cold and timid souls who neither knew either victory nor defeat. Instead, he wanted to be one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly. See, so in other words, this is the process of learning, of pushing ahead, of gaining knowledge. He continues, who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds. It's one foot in front of the other. It's the mindset. It's gaining the knowledge. And he continues, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause. Well, this is the spirit of that. And now, uh, the third one is so significant because it helps prepare with the mindset. The fourth one is to find hope through prayer and faith. Now, if you don't mind, I'll just offer a few other examples of this. Um, We had a terrible experience happen in our family. At least it seemed like it at the time. It was about 6 p.m. one evening, six or seven years ago. Our son David was in a serious accident that resulted in a critically broken neck. He was immediately put 
in a halo to keep his neck, neck secure. They drilled bolts in his skull to keep this halo firm so his neck wouldn't turn. He was, a, he was scheduled to start law school in six weeks. So how could he pick up the pieces? How could we help him as a family? The brace actually prevented him from turning his head. He couldn't drive, and it was difficult to do any work at all. He, was, he couldn't take a bath or really wash for three months. He was stinky and ugly and in a terrible place. So imagine, what would you do in this situation? Uh, he was in pain, and he wasn't even sure if he could ever regain all of his normal functions. But he had some choices. And so he resolved to start law school on time, which had been scheduled six weeks already after his accident. His, I'll show you attitude, his thinking about the mental part, the physical part, having faith and relying upon support from above, he decided to go ahead. He got help with his family, his professors, and his classmates. He fully recovered and not only started law school on time, but he graduated with honors with his class. So each one of us are going to have these setbacks, vision, mental focus of a positive focus, understand what's needed, gain skills and ability, and find hope through faith and certainly from a power of above. Here's just one or two more examples of this. <laughs> I love this example of the men's 4 by 100 freestyle relay in the 2008 Olympics. The United States, among other teams that were participating, were really going against France. Everybody had picked out France to win this event. And the only way that the U.S. could beat the Fran French team was with a perfect race. Each had to do their very best. Uh, the newscasters actually said there's just not a chance. The French were trash-talking trash <laughs> because they dominated. They held the world records in this event. Each one of the U.S. racers, starting with uh, their first one, uh, we also had, of course, Michael Phelps was a key part of that team. They jumped in and they got going. But it came down to the last leg. Jason Lezak racing against Bernard, the world record holder. And as they went into the last 50 meters, a very interesting thing happened. Jason Lezak was a half a length back, which is a country mile in a sprint. This would be very difficult. Everyone said, well, it looks like the U.S. is going to get the bronze. It's just impossible. Well, here is what Jason Lezak later said as he thought about that. He said, all I could think of was, no way, no way, I can't catch him. This is not going to happen. And he said, something happened at the turn where he changed no way, no way into no quit, no quit. He said, I'm in the Olympics. He said, I've got millions of my fellow countrymen cheering me on. I have my fellow teammates, no quit, no quit. Can you see this resolve, this mindset? He picked it up. He moved in on the draft just slightly behind Bernard. And he started picking it up 
only 50 meters, 150 feet to make a difference. And he started gaining. And all of a sudden, the announcer said, well, this is not likely, but, but Lezak is starting to catch him. And then he got up to his shoulders. And now, with only 15 feet to go, it is starting to become a possibility. This could really happen. No quit. No quit. No quit. One foot in front of the other. Keep pushing. And he got even with him at the very last moment. He lunged, and his finger, just by a hair, hit first. He had won that race, set in a new world record by eight hundredths of a second. Well, that is the real story of what happened that day. This is what we're talking about. Never give up. Now, I'd like to just finish with uh, a quick story. And I focus on this fine hope through faith and prayer. First of all, uh, this is a huge part of the source of strength that each one of us can have. Now, I'd like to use one example of George Washington. Each one of us can seek this type of strength or guidance and direction from a source greater than ourselves. And there's no burden, no discouragement, no challenge, no problem, no disappointment is too big when you feel help and strength from a source greater than you. So regardless of how you define it, when you draw on this power, you tap into a source of strength and comfort and direction that gives you greater capacity to overcome every obstacle, challenge, misery, sadness, or setback that you might, can, might encounter. So here's the example I'd like to use with George Washington. And this is such a moving one. Can you think of something more moving than that of George Washington seeking and receiving help, peace, and direction at one of the darkest and most lonely hours of his life as he sought to lead his troops in a new country to independence, freedom, and liberty? This story is related by 26-year-old Isaac Potts. He was a resident of Valley Forge and as a Quaker was opposed to the war. He supervised the grinding of the grain that George Washington ordered the neighboring farmers to bring to his army. Potts recalled that while riding in the woods, I heard a plaintive sound as a man at prayer. I tied my horse to a sapling and went quietly into the woods. And to my astonishment, I saw the great George Washington on his knees alone with his sword on one side and his cocked hat on the other. He was at prayer to the God of the armies, <laughs> beseeching to interpose with his divine aid, as it was ye crisis and the cause of the country, of humanity, and of all the world. Such a prayer, Potts related, I've never heard from the lips of a man. I left him alone praying, and I went home and told my wife what I'd seen and heard and observed. We never thought a man could be a soldier and a Christian. But if there is one in the world, it is George Washington. We thought it was the cause of God and American and that they could prevail. Washington's faith in a power and cause greater than him provided him with deep peace and confidence in the middle of the raging storm. 
He knew that all would work out well in the end. And we see this type of noble example of opportunity again and again, not just for George Washington, but this source of power is available to each one. Uh, Eighty years later, Abraham Lincoln found the very same source of strength and peace as his troops went to Gettysburg. I have found the very same peace and hope in the middle of some of my darkest times. It was just a couple of years ago that I found that I lost my sight in my left eye over a period of five days. I've had glaucoma where I've taken drops for 20 years, but this just went so quickly. Everything changed overnight. Uh, I found that it was difficult to move ahead to see stairs, uh, adjusting to one eye, but I also went back to these four steps. To what was my vision? Well, I have two eyes, and I have everything to live for in the future. I have so much to do. I want to lift and build, and I know I needed to maintain a positive mindset that there's a reason I had still the sight in one eye and that I needed to protect that, idea, that eye and to gain skills and abilities. And I'll just share some of this and certainly have peace in my heart that all would turn out well. And that's the faith that, that I have. And as I've sought a source from above, a strength and a perspective, then that's been helpful. Now, even today, two, <laughs> two years later, I still miss a few steps. I still knock over a few glasses of, uh, <laughs> of water or drink or whatever it might be on a table. Uh, I still have a little bit of a hard time playing tennis. My racquetball game is out of the, is gone forever. But I still have the capacity to move ahead. And this is the same way for each and every one of us. Now, what we're talking about here is how to keep ourselves motivated and focused day in and day out on the right things to ultimately reach our inspired dreams and goals. And when the exceptional setbacks come, we learn to rise above them. I'd like to just finish with this last quote today by Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Well, it's been a delight to talk about this great subject. I hope that you've picked up an idea or two that can be helpful to you. And so we're signing off from this Becoming Your Best podcast, and we wish each one of you the best as you continue to go forward and make a difference. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.